0: Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at. And I had the privilege to sit down with Justin Cates to discuss his vision for IEM and for his administration for the year 2024. I've known Justin Cates for several years and shared a seat with him on the board of the International association of Emergency Managers, and I'm thrilled to witness his ascent to the role of president. Justin's election is a testament to his unwavering dedication, expertise in emergency management. It's a moment of pride for all of us at IEM. Justin is known for his thoughtful approach and his steadfast commitment to this profession. His leadership at IEM USA marks a significant milestone, bringing his rich experience and strategic vision to the forefront. He keenly recognizes the importance of professional associations and advocacy and unifying our members' voices, a quality that makes him ideal to lead during these times. Justin's background is as diverse as it is impressive from leading emergency management in Somerville, Massachusetts, to a significant contributions in Nashua, New Hampshire, and as a Homeland Security Consultant for the state of Delaware and in the private sector, developing a program for Wawa Incorporated. His journey is a narrative of relentless dedication to public safety and emergency management. His academic credentials with degrees from the University of Delaware and the Naval Postgraduate School fosters both his professional stature beyond IAM. Justin's role as a treasurer for the National Association for Public Safety GIS Foundation and his membership in the FEMA National Advisory Council highlight his broad influence in the field. Justin's leadership is a beacon for progress at IEM USA. His election as president is an reflection of the respect and trust he has earned across the emergency management community. I'm excited and optimistic about the future of IEM under his guidance. I look forward to supporting his initiatives and his visions of the coming year. So let's get into the interview. Justin, welcome to the emergency Management network.
1: How are you Todd? Doing well.
0: First of all, I, I got to ask you the, the the depressing question, right? It's like, what made you decide that you wanted to get into um, into leadership?
1: Well, uh, you know, this goes back a uh, number of years where I sort of had a realization about the role of a professional association. Um, uh, my background goes back to when I was out of high school uh, and started in emergency management. And, you know, I really struggled with this whole idea that I was not going to have the same opportunities as law enforcement or fire or military or a number of other professions that are out there when getting into an emergency management space. And to me, I am, as a professional association, they're the ones to make that difference, to turn us from just a random group of people that help out during disasters to a profession that uh, is actually seen as legitimate and important within organizations and jurisdictions.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's one of my goals too, right. Is is the idea of, of really bringing EM, um, out of the shadows and, and to be a, 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 on the same level as, as at least as the, as the, as the public safety agencies that are out there. And, um, I tell the story often and I, I wish I could credit the right person. I just don't remember who it was, but uh, I was at a conference one time and somebody who was retiring from emergency management and uh, they asked this, this woman, they go, Hey, what are you going to do? You know, now you're retired. And she starts laughing. She goes, I'm going to become a fire chief. <laughs> you know? And so for those of you that are in the business understand that why it's funny, yeah. um, but, but, you know, I thought that was a great, great answer. Right. And because we hear this all the time from you know, the allied services of saying, Hey, you know, when they retire, they're going to become an emergency manager. Um, and this goes back to um, when I read this article in police one magazine, where it says, Hey, you know, take some IS courses and you too can hang your shingles as an emergency manager. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's not that. And, and thank you for, for taking the lead on on that aspect of things. Um, what is your goal coming into, you know, the last month of 2023 and into the year, into your reign in 2024?
1: Well, I I've highlighted three key areas that I want to work on over the next year. And um, you know, the first thing is I've, I've told myself, geez, you know, I'm not going to be able to do all the things that I want to do, but if we establish a good team, and I think we do have that right now with Carrie coming behind me and Josh coming behind her, having a good runway so that we can implement many of these initiatives to enhance the profession, and to really bolster IAM's ability to support its members, I think we have a good shot. So the three big areas that I'm looking at are, number one, mentorship. I want to see us implement a robust mentorship program across the association to connect the emerging and aspiring emergency managers to the wealth of experience and knowledge that we have across the entire uh, association membership. Number two is really looking at our representation. I, I know one of the challenges that we've encountered has been, you know, a lot of times uh, not only is emergency management not at the table, but I am uh, is, is not there at the table when there are these critical discussions and decisions made about emergency management as a whole. And so I want to ensure that not only do we have a seat at the table, but we have new and diverse members that are there sitting there and Helping us to represent uh, our our policy positions, uh, our elevator pitch around what emergency management should be doing, and then the third is advocacy. I think the the biggest piece that I've been passionate about over the last couple of years is to help tell the story of the emergency manager and try and and uh, entice more organizations, more jurisdictions, to implement the emergency manager position with the right. Uh, the right resources, the right stature within their organizational structure, um, and these are things that I think IEM should be taking the lead on, and hopefully we can see some of these things move forward in the next year.
0: You know the old adage: if you're not uh, at the table, you're the dinner. Um, and I think it yeah. does. I think that does apply to to us here at Emergency Management in, in the sense of going, hey, you know, we're, we're they're making rules regulations and, and, and laws about emergency management, uh, without even consulting, um, uh, emergency management professionals. And, and I find that kind of infuriating a little bit. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, one of your goals is to uh, make sure that we're sitting at that table when those
1: decisions are being made.
0: <clears throat> what are those struggles going to look like then for you to, to get into, uh, to get to the table?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I want to start off by saying, um, you know, IAM does have a, a strong advocacy component through our Government Affairs Committee. You know, so we do have, I think, good con- connections and uh, influence on Capitol Hill. Mm. But as you know, Todd, it's more than just Capitol Hill. I mean, right. there are so many uh, regulatory agencies that have things that are going on related to emergency management. We also have a- activities that are going on in each of the 50 states that are also, you know, things that emergency management should be paying attention to. And certainly IEM is not going to be able to be there in the room for every one of those state conversations. So we need to be able to empower our members with the resources and technical assistance so that they can go out and do that kind of stuff on their own. So I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges is really figuring out how to scale something like this up beyond just the traditional... Uh, task forces and committees that IAM has been involved with in the past. Uh, But really, I think it's important for us, if you see an organization like IAFC or the National League of Cities there on an attendee list, IAM should be there as well if it has Mm -hmm. something to do with emergency management. And it's going to become even more challenging over the next uh, few years as this overall concept of resilience starts becoming more prominent uh, in our space. And a lot of times the types of stakeholder organizations that are driving the discussion on resilience are not the same that we typically deal with on the emergency management side, but it does have really important impacts on the work that we do as emergency managers. So we need to be there at the table.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about that for just a couple seconds here, just because um, I think it's important. Jessica Jensen has done some really great work on that, on that area. Um, And one of the things that frustrated her, when she was doing her research and and Jessica and I had a long conversation um, about this was when she put out the, the survey emergency managers um, didn't participate uh, at a Mm -hmm. high level. Um, You know, we see some other academic uh, papers that are being written uh, today. You know, one of my students um, who is writing a paper uh, should be publishing here shortly on um, on incident manager. No, I'm sorry another one who's doing that as an management team on so many of them uh, on, uh, on um, artificial intelligence and emergency management, put a survey out and he had a very low uh, response um, uh, to that. And so I, I, I kind of want to challenge, you know, am members um, specifically since, you know, this is who we're speaking to today to when you see these surveys that are out, whether through the, the chat board or direct email to you, Please participate in them because it's going to really make a difference on how we can present um, to elected officials and and how important emergency management truly is. Um, but going back to Jessica's study, um, you're seeing you're seeing resilience resiliency officers, chief resiliency officers of the you know different cities being funded um, outside of the EM realm. Um, again you know, that's the, the, the tough spot. And it's right, you know, we can talk to the federal government all we want to, but like, how do we talk to like the city of Los Angeles, um, or, um, you know, New York City, um, or Washington, DC, or, you know, those groups, those cities, um, to really take emergency management seriously? Um, do we, are we relying upon our regional presidents to do that? Um, or is it something more?
1: Uh, It's probably going to be a couple of different approaches. I think, you know, from one angle, there is a national uh, sort of led uh, push towards this concept of resilience, really organizing the way that we deal with jurisdictional risk. And so, you know, there's a, a number of pieces of legislation that have been. Uh, push through uh, in the last couple of years, uh, many of them not been successful, but but to th- promote things like a chief resilience officer that's out of the White House. And you know one of the immediate things that comes to mind is what relation does that have with, with FEMA and the FEMA administrator? Uh, are there going to be conflicts, particularly with some of the mitigation and preparedness related activities that FEMA is responsible for? You know how does uh, the addition of a new role like that, uh, along with all of the staff and funding resources mm-hmm. and potential grant programs that come from something like that, how does that impact the existing uh, relationships between the federal government, the state, and locals? Um, you know that's I think you know one one of the big concerns that I have. So at the national level, IEM needs to be involved in the conversations around those types of topics, whether they're things that are related to legislation. Or if there are even internal reorganizations within FEMA, which is another area that has been going on in the last uh, year or so, uh, that I am has been involved in those conversations. Now, when it comes to um, you know the implementation of this resilience concept uh, in cities and uh, even at the state level, we're seeing this this uh, this framework sort of become more prevalent. Uh, that is an area where I think the regional presidents, the state reps have an opportunity to help uh, you know, provide the perspective of emergency management, but also gather information that we may not be seeing at the national level and help us to compile that so we have sort of a national policy position on this. Uh, and I, I don't think that I have the answer as to what the best model is, but it is, is the role of I am USA president. My number one thing is to look at, you know, what are the things that are going to benefit emergency managers? That's our number one customer. And so we want to ensure that we're supporting them and ensuring that they're going to have the resources they need moving forward, regardless of whether resilience takes hold as a a strong concept uh, in their jurisdictions.
0: Yeah, I I agree there. and I definitely think it has to be a um, multi-pronged effort to, to when we look at uh, what this means and, and how we have these conversations. Um, and I want to, again, just push back to the, to the membership a little bit. One of the things I say a lot, um, to my region, um, and I know you said it during, uh, your, um, speech, uh, on the last night of the, of the conference is this organization is nothing if it isn't for its members. Um, Mm -hmm. what do you want to say to the members out there as far as getting involved with the organization and and what that brings to them outside of just, you know, a conference every year and maybe an email or two?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm glad that you, uh, you caught that, that specific phrase in my, uh, in my speech, you know, the, the one challenge, and, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, being a regional president uh is that there's lots of good ideas that come out you know folks have good ideas about things that they want to see from the association but they have to recognize that there's only a few of us in leadership along with you know uh, a selection of staff members that are helping to kind of drive the different activities that are going on in the association and so it's really important for those folks that have great ideas about how we uh do the work of IEM and help to you know, professionalized emergency management, that they take those ideas and they figure out how they can contribute. Uh, and, and this is really important is what can they do to help drive this forward? You know, the way that I look at um, leadership within this association is, you know, my main goal is to try and remove roadblocks and get them out of the way for people so that they can take action and get things done. Um, it's not really going to be uh, useful and it's probably not going to be Uh, effective at all if everything is being centralized through IAM headquarters to get done. So, you know, for example, uh, out in the regions uh, or even out in the States, you know, there's opportunities for folks to set up a networking event. Okay, great. How do we enable those folks who want to get together and uh, talk about emergency management and network with their peers and perhaps even get more people to be part of our mission and, and our goal How do we just get them so that they can organize it, figure out all the things that are needed logistically and then take advantage of of getting it done Um, rather than having to funnel it all through headquarters and then us to try and plan for something in some city across the country? It's just it's not going to be possible. So my number one thing is, is how can we how can we provide the support to the regional presidents? How can we provide support to the. Caucus chairs, the committee chairs, to just be able to get things done that help uh, further the mission of IEM, and that are aligned with our strategic plan. As long as things are aligned with the strategic plan, I think that's going to be the the way that we want to push uh, those types of events forward. I, in my speech, I had mentioned, you know, I want folks to think about, you know, how they can, uh, in the next year, do something related to their professional development how they can further the development of emergency management within their organization. And then finally, how can they contribute something to the overall effort of professionalizing emergency management over the next year? And so I'm you know here to provide whatever necessary support I can provide to help connect them with the right caucus or committee or regional president who can take their idea and turn it into reality.
0: That's great. And and I, I appreciate that and, and that effort, because I think sometimes people may want to get involved, but just don't know how to get involved. And mm-hmm. I think with the mentorship program and then um, with that call to action that you have today, um, you know, people have at least a, at least a starting point. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, start, you know, if you're local, start with your start with the regional presidents. And, and that's what we're here for, uh, to be able to help you get involved, uh, involved as well.
1: You know, Absolutely.
0: Let's talk about professionalism, professionalizing the, the profession, as I like to say. And I've been asking this question um, for a while now is how do we how do we do this? Um, and, you know, sometimes people people take offense to that concept that we're not a profession. and That's not what we're saying here. At least I'm not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, speaking for you a little bit there, Justin. So correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But, but I think what we're saying here is there are steps to make other people realize that we're a profession. Uh what I mean by this is things like the CEM is a great example or the um, um the you know higher education programs that we're working with um working with EMI to ensure that we have good quality curriculum uh that are teaching emergency manager stuff working in working with your state training agencies um to work with emergency management um programming and making sure the curriculum as well. Um, what other steps can we do? To ensure that um people coming into the field of emergency management um, are here because they want to be here, they're not being a collateral duty of all I'm told, right and then um that once they're here, they are able to um, learn more um, and 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 really contribute to the profession as a whole.
1: Yeah, I think this ties to one of the three goals that I had, which is advocacy so. You know, believe it or not, and I, I think this is probably one of the areas that I'm most embarrassed by, is we in IAM really had a very fragmented advocacy effort. So there was pieces of advocacy that, that um, were located throughout the organization. Um, so from the government affairs perspective, we were doing advocacy related to legislation, You know, promoting things that are going to be supporting emergency managers, whether it be new grant programs, increased funding for grants, uh, making sure that there were uh, laws that were in support of emergency managers and didn't uh, create barriers for us. So that was one area of advocacy we were working on. Uh, Training and education. They were also doing some advocacy around uh, some of the things you had mentioned related to uh, degree programs, core competencies. Um, you know, trying to uh, help define the emergency management profession through the emergency management principles document that came out a number of years ago. So that was another area that that came out. And then, you know, each of the caucuses, uh, the sector specific caucuses like healthcare, universities and colleges caucus, they were sort of doing their own advocacy for the role of emergency manager within their space, you know, focused Mm -hmm. around that. And so it was sort of, all over the place. And and we want to see all of those efforts continue. But there was no single location within the organization that was looking at this from a strategic perspective and saying, mm-hmm. all right, well, look, we've got a problem here when it comes to trying to sell the value of an emergency manager. And we've got all these different activities going on all over the place. So last year, we implemented an advocacy and awareness caucus with the real focus of saying, okay, what do we need to be able to do to sell our, our profession to the people who are ultimately hiring us? You know, the chief executives, the uh, county councils, uh, the campus um, president, uh, the healthcare executive. How do we sell the, the value of what we're doing? What we realized just through the initial um, uh, research of, of where we stand on that type of initiative. We really didn't have anything good i mean there are studies out there that go back to the civil defense era about how many emergency managers you should have in your jurisdiction there's you know a report that uh, the higher ed community did on the value of campus emergency managers that hasn't been updated for a number of years Um, it it just was sort of like no real great uh, coalesced strategy on how we're going to sell ourselves So the caucus, the Advocacy and Awareness Caucus, had been working over the last year to really start putting together a framework for what are the areas that we think we can make change in to help sell the value of emergency managers and and bring us up to that same level that we would see with public health and fire and law enforcement and public works and all those other um, areas that uh, see pretty strong support from their constituents. So uh, this year, we're looking at um, at least focusing on one key area, which is to put together a hiring toolkit for jurisdictions and organizations. And this toolkit um, is something that will have information about recommended pay ranges, uh, recommended sizes for organizations if you're creating a new emergency management uh, position or or team, Uh, uh, some sample job descriptions for a generalist emergency management role? You know, What are the knowledge, skills, abilities, certifications, things that are necessary for this? Again, none of this exists. Uh, it's sort of scattered all over the place, and a lot of it is very dated. So what we hope to do is to, to work with the higher education and research community to take evidence and convert that into practice and do that so that we've got a toolkit that we can get in the face of those decision makers who are hiring and creating those new emergency management positions, but also the HR professionals that are the ones that are typically tasked with crafting a job description. And we all know that there are so many circumstances where they go on Google, they search for emergency manager, they end up with something they found that's got things like, you know, requirements for a hazmat technician certification. Well, that's not really necessary. So there's a lot of work to be done over the next year. But I do think that this uh, advocacy mission does help with professionalization
0: you know as i mentioned before one of my students working on um ai and uh emergency management and i know you spoke a little bit about it not in the same context that uh my students talk about it but and the idea that you know maybe there's out there um there's some sort of uh you know city manager or whatever is going hey i could just you know shove in some information into a chat gpt and and come up with an emergency management plan which i've played with that a little bit and uh <laughs> and, and it comes up the thing is sometimes that the, the chat gpt lies you know or doesn't necessarily have all the you know but the idea here is if it's a checkbox right if they see emergency management as a checkbox not a profession right you know those that are in the collateral duty um, um how how do we sell? I mean, like we, I feel like I'm going back on this a little bit, but how do we sell that? Um, with that, with that hiring toolkit that you're doing, how do we tell city managers and county managers, especially for say some small cities and small counties that, yeah, this is a person who you need to have in the room with you. Um, even though it's only in, in some cases as they take a look at it as an insurance policy in case something goes wrong. Right. Um, you know, how, how do we do this? I mean, or maybe you don't have an answer. It's okay if you don't.
1: I, I well, I don't have the perfect answer, but I think with the support of our membership and and the experts that are in this space, I think over the next year we are going to move in the right direction on this. I, I at the presidential banquet I sort of gave um my outlook to where I think uh, we're headed as a profession and I I, I know uh, for those of you that were that were in the audience, it may have sounded a little bleak on, on my concerns around you know where we stand as a profession today, and then the threat of automation, artificial intelligence towards the knowledge work that we do. And really the the outlook that I'm proposing here is that that we can leverage AI and automation to our benefit if mm-hmm. we take advantage of it within this short window of time. Because what we want to try and do is we want to try and have the leg up, the competitive advantage uh, to, you know, the fire chiefs and the facilities managers and the other people who are traditionally seen as these collateral duty emergency managers. So we want to demonstrate that, you know, we can get these uh, tasks, these mundane tasks done very quickly using tools like a chat GPT or uh, even some of the other resources that have emerged over the last year or so. But the benefit that we bring to the table is the trust and relationship building, and the the uh, ability to deal with uncertain situations that most humans don't feel comfortable relying on a computer for.
0: Right.
1: And so I I gave the example around um, you know aviation. Uh, this is a high risk industry, and many uh, that are involved in flying and aviation know the tremendous capabilities of autopilot. Right. And what it can do. Um, but that doesn't mean that we get rid of the pilot and say, you know what, we don't need you anymore. Humans still have an expectation that in that high risk world, there's somebody there that can step in the human in the loop, and be able to handle any situation that comes up. Now, certainly, as these tools become more and more proficient and able to handle more and more complex issues, it will really require us to reinvent ourselves and to start thinking about those areas where we can really maximize our value. Uh, But if we stay on this trajectory where we're seen as the, you know, default grant uh, writer in our jurisdictions, which I know many emergency managers seem to be thrown, you know, write us a grant for this project. Well, I'll tell you, those are the types of things that ChatGPT and these automation and AI tools are really good at. So we don't want to head down that trajectory at all.
0: You know, I, 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 find it interesting you talking about the, the, basically the VUCA world that we're living in today. And, and as we're recording um, this interview um, you know, there's still information coming in regarding um, the bombing um, at bombing attack um, at the rainbow bridge um, on the Canadian side of the rainbow bridge um, where, you know, I know that the, Currently, the the FBI still is is out on. Uh, they haven't come out with too much information. I'm sure that they're still working this case. Cases like this really show that we have to have the human person standing in there to be able to to work these these, these events. Um, that having a collateral duty person, um, it's because it's not in this case today. The Buffalo International airport is closed down. All the borders are closed. Um, and it's the day before Thanksgiving and, you know, an event like this, um, can have some significant impact on your community and having a person there that can make decisions and, and empathize with the people that are, are being impacted by it. It's critical to have someone not, not an AI robot or, um, somebody who is not really sure how the job works. Um, so I think this kind of, those events show that we are, our critical aspect to, uh, to, to public safety in, in general. I know we're getting here to the end. Um, I'd like to give you some time to, again, talk to the emergency managers out there. But I want, I want you to talk to about and to people who are disenchanted with IEM and, and feel that uh, we're not hearing them or not listening um, or it's not for them. Um, how do you bring them back to the fold or bring new people in?
1: Yeah, so I, there's a couple of different things with that. You know, one is I, I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we've encountered has been um, IEM has not been consistent on the types of service that's provided across the country. Um, you know, those rural areas, uh, we don't have the same types of networking events that you see in the urban areas. And so, um, you know, a lot of times the folks that have been really committed to the work and the mission of IEM have been those people who have been at the conference or have engaged in one of our certification programs, or, you know, they feel like they're connected to the association, but those folks who, you know, sign up for the first time, uh, and, and submit their membership dues, and then um, you know, they really don't have any other connection or involvement with the organization, a lot of times by the end of the year when their membership dues are, are up for renewal, they're like, well, really, what did I get for this? And so one of the things that we've been doing with the membership committee uh, over the last year has been to look at what are the tangible benefits that come from being involved in IEM, things like the discounts on the conference, Uh, registration, discounts on certification, um, you know, those types of things that I can easily look at and say, okay, by getting involved in IEM, here are the returns on my investment, but also looking at the sort of non-tangible benefits. Do they know about the advocacy work that we do on Capitol Hill to support Increase funding for emergency managers? Do they know about the networking opportunities that we have with our committees and caucuses? Do they know about the um, uh, mentorship programs for our certification program that we've implemented to help further the ability for people to get involved in, in that? Um, so those are the things that uh, we're trying to get more and more out to uh, those new members so that they understand that there are real things that they can get value from as part of this. You know, another thing that we did last year uh, was we did these open houses, these uh, recruitment fairs for our committees and caucuses. And I've told people that really the the real benefit of being involved in IAM comes down to two things. One, get involved in your regions and two, find a committee or a caucus to get involved with, because that's where the rubber meets the road. Like if you're expecting to get involved in some sort of like national level initiative, That that, it really doesn't exist. I mean, it's really few and far between. Really, the way to get involved and to feel like you're part of something bigger is to get involved in those regional activities, get involved in those committees and caucuses. And so we'll continue to to try and promote that over the next year so that people find, okay, I've joined IEM, now what's next? What do I do to actually really feel like I'm furthering the emergency management profession? I know that there's, you know, another segment of folks out there that have had some sort of experience with IM that says, you know, I I don't want to be involved in this group. Um, And for those folks, I would say I would hope that you'd reconsider this year. You know, come back, get involved. um, And my door is always open. You know, if you have uh, some sort of a recommendation or a question, you can always reach out to me. I'm always open to hear ways that we can make improvements. my one of my foundational principles is continuous improvement. I'm always trying to find ways to improve our processes internally within the association, but also to try and improve the services that we provide. So there's certainly a lot of work to do. Uh, but you know I hope that folks that uh, feel like I am is not for them. They reconsider this year as we make some really big changes and really try and move the profession forward.
0: Absolutely. Justin, thank you so much for your time today. And I really appreciate it and looking forward to uh, serving um, with you on this uh, on this board coming up and uh, some of the exciting stuff that you have in store for us. You know, and, and I think Justin is right. It's, it's the idea here is we need to, uh, as an organization, um, we're reaching out to people. But as also, like we said before, like I say, you get out of this organization uh, what you put into it. And I really um, I really do believe this. Uh, and I look forward to seeing everybody uh, get involved with IEM and the great work that we could do here. So until next week, or until next time, stay safe and stay hydrated.